0: Good evening, everyone. Good to see you. Vote, show of hands, how many of you like the cooler weather? How many of you don't? I think the latter is outweighed by the former, actually. I'm, Hello. I'm a northern boy. I was born and raised in Illinois. And so I live for this kind of weather. Uh, the, the, I only have one complaint with Augusta and is, I can hardly stand the summers. It's just, the, the heat and the humidity just, it's like kryptonite to Superman to me. It's just, I can't do that. So, so, I'm liking the cooler weather. Hope you are too. If not, like I tell people, you can always put on more clothes to get warm, but there's only so many you can take off before they arrest you. So, I can deal with cold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this evening. We are in the fifth session of six sessions on how to live for your spouse. So tell me, what are some things you've been getting out of this? What are some takeaways, something that stuck with you, something that made you scratch your head? Tell me about that. Hey, and Jonathan, can you kill these lights for me too? So give me some takeaways that you've, you've took home with you. Nothing It's not always fun to be right. <laughs> True. Or, or, or maybe better yet, it's not always fun to try to prove that you're right or tell them that you're right. Somebody back here, did you say something? as a couple Cool. Cool. Doing stuff together as a couple. You know, I used to years ago, I used to do a weekend marriage retreat. And then I would do this survey about what did you like best about the retreat. And almost invariably, the majority of people said, the ride down with my spouse, because they never get to do that. And so it was a long period of time. They had to talk. They liked that. And I thought it was a great answer. Yes, ma'am. Wives need to listen longer and speak shorter. Uh, And I'll be honest with you, when I wrote that out, I thought, I'm going to get in trouble for that. I just figured that was going to step on somebody's toes, but but that is important. Somebody else, something that stuck with you throughout these four weeks. Huh? That's it? All right. I'm going to have to do a better job than that. All right, so... As always, if you've missed any, you can find <coughs> remakes there. Now, we heard some people tell us last week, some in here and some elsewhere, that the audio on a few of these sessions was really hard to hear. You had to crank it all the way up on your car, and then you could barely hear it. We fixed that problem. I know there's one or two sessions that cut off at the end. Not that You didn't miss much. It cut just a little bit off, but it cut off the end. We can't fix those but we fixed the, vo- the volume issues. So if you wanna go back and listen to those or share those with somebody, you should be able to hear those really well. But you can go there and that's where you'll find them. Just go to, to my site, click on resources, and then click on how to live for your spouse. And uh, not only will you get the audio, but if there were any handouts, uh, you'll get those. You can click on those and get the handouts. Uh, you can click there and get the slides. You can see the slides. So you should be able to get everything there. Uh, we, hopefully we fixed at least the audio problems. Now, let's quickly rehash before we get into tonight's. You know, we're going to try to catch you up just little by little. First thing we talked about, the very first week, we said that the question is not how to live with your spouse. Everybody has to live with their spouse. The question is how to live for your spouse. That's a better question. And so we've set these six weeks aside to, see, to feel to feel out and and figure out how we can do that. In the first week, we said that you do that, husbands should lead like the king. We are to lead like Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. We're to lead like the king. And wives are to submit like a queen. And I know that word submit is just a heavily loaded word. And some people recoil at that. We can't rehash all that tonight, but I encourage you, go listen to that first session. It'll spell out what we mean by submission. All I can tell you is it doesn't mean that you have no voice, you have no say, you're a lesser. That's not what that means. So, that was the first week on how to live for your spouse. And then when we got to the second week, the the principle was the same for both husbands and wives. The principle is help them feel special. Help your spouse feel special. Both husbands and wives need to do that. But the thing of it is, is husbands do it in one way and wives do it in another. So husbands are to love their wives. That's how they make them feel special is when they love their wives. And uh, we talk specifically about how to do that and how they tend to receive that. And wives make their husbands feel special when they treat them with respect, when they respect their husbands. And those are not just blanket each spouse can do whatever they want to and get away with it, and you still have That's not what that means. So I encourage you to go back and listen to those sessions again. Then, session number three was a session in which we dealt with communication. And, and communication is one of the big deals in a marriage. And we said that husbands need to listen longer and speak deeper, and wives need to listen longer and speak shorter. Uh, and we, we parsed all of that out as to how that's supposed to work. It's really important that we as husbands not just give you this superficial two or three word answer bottom line, but that we give you something more. And it's really important for our wives not to dump the whole truckload of stuff on us, but to give us the bottom line, give it as in short sections so we can process it and then go back and forth with it. Then last week... We talked about this. We talked about not how to disconnect in conflict, but how to connect in conflict. You know, most of us shy away from conflict because we're afraid it's gonna hurt our our relationship. It's gonna make us disconnect. It doesn't have to. Conflict can actually connect you. And actually, I'm almost convinced that your marriage gets deeper and stronger through conflict rather than through good times. Through good times, we just coast. It's in the conflict that we really have to dig in. And uh, we talked about some conflict roadblocks and we talked about some conflict resolution. So we started with the roadblocks. Here were some of the conflict roadblocks. When you withdraw, when it escalates, when there's some invalidation, when you tend to invalidate your spouse or when you even worse, vilify or there's vilification of your spouse, that, up, that, that just takes you on a downward spiral. That's conflict roadblocks. And then we talked about conflict resolution. And we said, these are some steps in conflict resolution that you should pray. You should pray before you even wade into this. Pray by yourself if necessary, but if both of you can do that together before you wade into something, that's great. It's really hard to be angry with someone you're praying for. And then we said that you need to address it. So often, we hope it'll go away. We don't say anything. We withdraw. We avoid. We hope it'll just kind of evaporate. And it doesn't. It just keeps building up and building up until when you finally deal with it, there's so much emotion, so much emotional buckshot loaded into it that it's hard to get anywhere with it. But if you'll address it in the moment, if possible, it's not always possible. But if possible if you'll address it right in the moment then you can deal with it as a problem without all the emotional baggage that goes along with it It makes it a whole lot easier but you have to be willing to wade into it and sometimes you just have to stop in the moment and say hey can we talk about that because here's what i heard you say and that didn't feel good and you can kind of deal with it before everybody gets emotional so address it assure your spouse that you're on their side, that you want to help meet their needs. You're not trying to just override them or overrule them. Assure them that you really want their needs to be met also. Because when you do that, then they lower their defenses, and they're more willing to listen to you and, and to work through this thing. Then, if you can't deal with it immediately, in the moment, then schedule a time to do it. Schedule a time that you're both going to be free and you're not going to be brain-dead or you're not wrestling with kids Or there's not pressing issues try to clear the decks You may even say let's go out on our date night And you should be having those go out on a date night and say let's talk this through when you're both good And if you're in a public place, you can't really have a knockdown drag out in a public place So that's a that's a benefit, too so Schedule a time if you need to then we said understand Understand. Too often, we're only listen, listening so that we can make our point rather than listening to try to really hear what their point is. Stephen Covey, I've told you in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says, listen first to understand, then to be understood. First understand, then be understood. The Bible says he who speaks before listening, that's his fool and his folly. So... Seek to understand them. It's amazing. Sometimes when my wife, dis- wife and I are disagreeing on something, when she knows that I've really listened and I've really heard her and I really understand her, sometimes that's just enough. We just want to be heard. We want to be listened to. We want to be taken into account, not taken for granted. So seek to understand. Then when you've understood each other, then brainstorm some options for whatever it is you're in conflict about. I always tell couples, if you, all you have is a her solution and a his solution, you don't have enough. You have to throw both of those out, and you've got to create more solutions. If all you have is a his and a her solution, somebody wins and somebody loses, and that's not a good way to deal with conflict. So, throw those out and brainstorm as many as you can. Don't evaluate. Don't criticize when you're brainstorming. Just brainstorm as many as you can, and then come together. You can see in uh, the next one, choose. Choose one of those. Now, none of the things you brainstorm are going to be everything you want or everything your spouse wants. But choose the one that gets close enough to what you both want and need. And when you agree on it, because you have to agree on it, you can't force it. Both of you have to agree on it. Both of you have to don't twist somebody's arm to get them to agree on what you want to. Just Go through the brainstorming options, agree on which one will fit, and then you implement it. You have to do something with it. You have to put it into practice. So you implement it, and you decide, hey, we're going to do this for the next month, or the next three weeks, or the next two weeks, whatever. We're going to implement it for this long, and then you come back and evaluate it. Okay, did it work? Did it not work? Well, some parts of it worked, some of it didn't. Well, what do we need to tweak? And you tweak things, and then you do it again. Sounds very systematic, doesn't it? Very formulaistic. It takes all the fun out of a good fight when you do this. But it'll help you solve problems rather than deal with personalities. I think I told you I had a wise counselor in uh, Fort Worth, Texas one time said, The people are not the problem. The problem is the problem. In marriage, the spouses are not the problem. The problem is the problem. If both of you as spouses can turn and focus on the problem instead of one another, you'll probably get it fixed. All right, and then I sent you home with some cards with all of those things on it and said I wanted you to, to practice some of those things. Did anybody give that a shot this week? Anybody pick one or two of those and give it a shot and see how it worked? No one did their homework. That's amazing. Is it too scary? I mean, this stuff is a little scary to have to do. It's, it's easier to just muddle through the way you're doing it and just kind of keep stepping on each other's toes. And, you know, you figure, hey, no one's died, so why change anything, right? I'm telling you, this stuff has to be implemented or you won't get anywhere. So I encourage you to try these things. All right, on to tonight's topic. Tonight's topic you know when you're standing in front of the minister on your wedding day? You remember that? Can some of you go back that far, right? And you're standing in front of the minister, and all you can see is one another. I mean, that's it. You just want to be close. You just want to be intimate. You're pledging to your spouse. You'll always be there for, you, for them, and you'll always put them first. But then, the longer you're married, the easier it is to put other things ahead of your spouse. Have you noticed that, or is it just me in my marriage? Doesn't it work that way? So, the longer we're married, the, the less we forget about, hey, nothing is going to come between you and me, and then all kinds of things come in between us. Husbands, what are some things that husbands tend to put ahead of their spouse? Job. Hmm? Job. Job. Someone else. Hobbies. Hobbies. Guys, if you don't tell on yourself, your wives are going to. So you might as well tell on yourself. Kids. kids? Football. Football. Yes, and it is the season, isn't it? Someone else? I am so glad that my wife and I did not buy new lazy boy recliners until the kids were out of the house. Because that recliner could come between a lot of things for me. Anything else? All right, you kind of got some of mine. Here are some things that, that husbands say or wives say that husbands put between them and their spouse. Work. Uh, what is that last second word? Status. It's supposed to be status. Is that it? Statuse. We put status in front of everybody. No, I think that's supposed to be status. We put status in front of our spouse sometimes. It gets ahead of our spouse. Money. we got to make the money. we got to earn the money. And we guys, we feel pressure to do that. We feel pressure as providers to provide for the family. And not just provide for the family. We want them to see how well we can provide for the family. Right? And so money can be one of those. Property, material goods, you know, we, we want to put spouses in the nicest car we can, we want our yard to look nice, we, we, we want, you know, we have two cars but we need a three car garage for all the extra stuff we need to shove in the garage. So we can still get our cars in and pack our stuff in there. That's kind of stuff. Recreation, sports, all kinds of things like that. Hunting, I'm surprised no one said that. We put these things ahead of our spouses. Now, we don't intentionally do that. We don't think we're doing that. We don't plan on doing that. But it does. It happens. All right, wives, your turn. What are things that wives put ahead of their husbands sometimes? kids i heard multiple people say kids absolutely someone else let me let me camp out on kids for just a minute because here's what happens when a husband and wife get married they are playmates they're enjoying each other's company and a husband looks at his wife and she's his playmate and then she gets pregnant however that happens she gets pregnant Right? And then all of a sudden, everything is about the baby. You know, I had a nice new pickup truck when my wife and I got married. It's the first new vehicle I'd ever owned. And then she got pregnant and she said, we got to get rid of your truck. I said, my truck? Why do we have to get rid of my truck? She says, do the math. There's going to be three of us and you only have two bucket seats in this truck. Oh, yeah. And so all of a sudden, stuff starts revolving around Before my first child was born, it changed my breakfast habits because I'd get up in the morning and I'm frying sausage and bacon and I'm doing eggs. And one day my wife came down very pregnant and sick and looked at me and said, you will not do that in this house anymore. Never cooked breakfast in my house since then. And my kids are adults and have their own kids. I don't do it. I started going to McDonald's or Burger King or something every morning. So when the kids come along, even before they break forth from the womb, they're already controlling our wives. Now wives become these natural nurturers. I'm on a soapbox. I didn't intend to go here. Wives become these natural nurturers and and everything becomes about the child. And so this child is born, you have this child and the husband thinks, the child is born. I'm getting back my playmate. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way because now you don't have a playmate anymore. You have a mom. Moms are different than playmates, right? And so you try to get your playmate back and mom kind of goes, you're a big, strong individual. You know, you can take care of yourself. This child needs us. So then husbands are, are forced with a decision. I can either keep trying to get my playmate back, and all that does is cause a fight, I could go find another playmate, and that's going to be even worse. Or I guess I have to settle into becoming a dad. What do dads do? They work, and they provide. And so what happens is, husbands and wives start doing this. And there's this drift. Because of kids, the kids we wanted, start doing this to us. So, yeah, kids are kind of like one of the number one things that wives tend to put ahead of husbands. Okay, into soapbox. What else? elderly parents, yes you're sandwiched sometimes between kids and parents and you're in the middle and, and sometimes like little children, they need you you have, to, you have to be there and so the elderly parents get put in front of them what else? take a look at these they're not as many as guys, I kind of took offense to that kids home Home becomes really important. My wife wanted her home to look a certain way. I didn't care how the home looked. It became a problem. You know, we can put our homes ahead of of our spouses. We can put family of origin. Sometimes it's elderly parents, but sometimes it's just family of origin. My, My wife and I, the day we got married, we moved from Illinois to Oklahoma, like 600 and some miles away. It was really was a good thing for us. But when holidays come around, we would go back home. And so I could, we were always excited to go home and see family because you don't see them very much when you live that far away. And so we, all, we were always excited when we were heading there and we were always mad at each other when we left. And I could not figure that out. I think, I'm a smart guy. I should be able to figure this out. And one day it dawned on me, the minute we crossed the threshold of her parents' home, I lost my wife and she became their daughter again. I didn't even know that was happening. And all of a sudden, you know, when we're at our house, we'd sit next together. We'd have a little PDA going on. We had, none of that was happening in her parents' house. And then I got really stupid about it and thought, you're my wife. You're not their daughter anymore. And then she, it just created problems. And I'm sure the same thing happened at my, at my parents' house when, when we got there. And so it's just a st- Stupid, silly little example of how we can often put family of origin ahead of husbands and wives. And then appearance. How you look. How your home looks. How your kids look. How the yard looks. All of that stuff. We can just get all, and there's all kinds of things we could add to these. But there's this stuff we get in front of us. Um, Now here is the hard pill to swallow. You may want to get up and walk out when you hear this. Uh, It's not meant to sound as... Definitive as it does. But all of those things that we put ahead of our spouse wind up being a form of either idolatry or adultery. Not in the truest sense of the words. But when you put something ahead of your spouse, that tends to be kind of two of the flavors that, that it amounts to. Now, here's the big question. Why do we do this? Why do we put stuff ahead of our spouse ideas I'm sorry seeking satisfaction satisfaction. that's a good one yes we take them for granted yes we do way too often Anyone else?: well, if you're putting children ahead, you're doing like you, said they, you can take care of yourself.: they can. So if you're putting your children ahead because your children can't take care of yourself and you can, you're basically saying the kids are more important to me. OK? Let me show you some of the things of why we do that. Some of you have hit upon some of these. One, we just get sidetracked. We do. We get sidetracked. We get sidetracked with work, with kids, with house, with the yard, with school, our response. We just get sidetracked. You know, when we first date and married, there's not a whole lot vying for our time. But the longer you're married, the more stuff that vies for your time. And you get sidetracked. Or, we get too comfortable. Kind of like I said, we, we take one another for granted. We, uh... You know, when we're dating, when we're early in marriage, we're trying really hard. We, we want to be liked and we want them to feel special. And then we just get comfortable and we take each other for granted. Another reason that this happens is we want control. We really do. We won't admit it. No one likes to say, yes, I'm a control freak. But most of us are. We want control. And so when we put stuff ahead of our spouse, it's usually stuff we can control. Stuff we can make happen. We, you know, those things are all things that, and face it, we can control kids easier than you can control your spouse. You can control your work easier than you can control your spouse. So when you feel like you need a sense of control, it's easier to go to something else other than spouse. And then if that pays off, then you just keep going back there. And that's one of the reasons we put things ahead of our spouse. Uh, another reason. Another reason. Our pride takes over. You know, we get more focused on what we want. We're convinced that we're right. We think it's our job to rescue our spouse from themselves. Somebody's got to do it. It should be us, right? Pride kind of takes over. So that's another reason. And then a lot of times we're trying to override our insecurities. You know, if I pour myself into work and I'm doing really good and I'm getting pats on, back and I'm getting raises, then I don't feel quite so insecure, you know? I may not be doing, I I may feel like I don't know what I'm doing as a spouse, but I can go out on the golf course, I can nail that. And so I can feel better about myself. A lot of the times, the things we pursue are attempts to, to make up for our insecurities. And our insecurities fall into two big lumps, I know this is a big generalization but insecurities usually fall out this way. For husbands, am I doing a good job? And wives, am I loved? Excuse me. And so, wives, now you can see why when you're telling your husband how they should do something, when you're being critical, and maybe you don't think you are, but when you're doing that, then the husband hears, I'm not doing a good job. It's like a knife in the heart. And husbands, when you're too busy with other things to pay attention to your wife, or when she's trying to communicate with you and you're just not paying attention or giving her the the short one-word answers, it hits her in the heart because she doesn't feel loved. Those are our big insecurities when that happens. Uh, It's a bit of an oversimplification, but it's true nonetheless. Uh, So, and you see all of these reasons about Stuff we put ahead of our spouse and the tension. I keep telling you, go back to Genesis 3. Go back to Genesis 3, 16 through 19. That's what happens right after the fall. And you see all of this stuff. You can read it all into what happens between Adam and Eve. And and that's the launching pad for a lot of the stuff we talk about. So we spent all of this time talking about things that we put ahead of our spouse. So what do you think tonight's principle is? Putting your spouse first. You would think that, wouldn't you? But this is me and it doesn't work the way you would think. It sounds like that, but really the principle tonight is put your spouse second. Now, that sounds antithetical to everything we've been talking about, right? It sounds like that's not the way it should be. But let me finish this. Put your spouse second only to God. That changes the whole dynamic. Put your spouse second only to God. Now, I, I know it sounds like we should put our spouse first. But actually, you need to put them second only to God. Because when you do that, then it will help you put that spouse first. Sounds, sounds like I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth there. But that's what it'll do. It sounds like you should put your spouse first. But we need to put them second. And let me show you how that works okay listen to what scripture says luke 14 26 jesus says if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own family his own father his own mother his wife his children and brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple now jesus is not talking about us being haters you know, we are not. We're called to love one another. So that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is your love and devotion to him should come first. And it should be so strong and so passionate, it makes all your other loves fail in comparison. Makes them look less than. That's what he's talking about. So, he's talking about putting love for God first. Listen to another passage. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Yes, that passage is about money, material goods. But the principle applies across the board. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and your spouse completely. Somebody has to rule and reign. And when you get the right one in the right place, the second one works really well. So again, God has to come first. Here's another passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Okay, so he's talking about the Macedonian church, and he's talking about church giving. For in several tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, excuse me, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. What's this got to do with what we're talking about? Verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. He's talking about this church in Macedonia that had such generosity and, and, and they were being such a blessing to the churches. But they didn't do that because they wanted to be a blessing to the churches. They did that because they gave themselves to God first. And when they gave themselves God first, then they got the rest of their relationships right. This is really key to marriage. Let me give you one more. Matthew 22, 36 through 39. Man comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, excuse me, all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Then verse 38, this is the first commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Put him first. The second, then love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, All of these passages, and you can see it in other places of Scripture too, means that God comes first and your spouse second. Your spouse should only be second to God. Make your spouse second only to God. And if you put God first and your spouse second, then you will know how to truly live for your spouse. So what are some things that we can do that will put God first? Talk to me. Oh, if we cannot answer this, we're in the wrong place, boys and girls, right? So what are some things you could do to put God first? Spend time in prayer. Time in prayer. Right. Tithe. Time. Time. Time in the word. Serving. In church. Serving. Serving, service. Worship. Worship. What else can you think of? Serving his commandments. Pardon? Serving his, commandments. Serving his commandments. obey Obedience. Here's some things, and you've hit on, almost all of them. Here's some things you can do. Things involved in putting God first. All right? Because we're supposed to love God first make our wives second only to God. So we need to know what it means to love God first. So first, you love him with your thoughts. You focus your minds on him. You meditate on him. You think about what he said. You think about what he's done for you. How he's ministered to you. The things he's brought through. You put your mind on him first. Your mind only has so much space. And so it can only hold so much. And what what typically happens is we shove so much other stuff in our mind, there's no space for him. So you love God first by keeping your thoughts trained on him. Then, time. You spend time with God, whether you call it a quiet time or a devotional time or whatever it is. It's it's not so much about whether you're reading the Bible through chapters after chapters or whether you're reading to devote. It's about getting away with him. Getting away from the distractions. Focusing just on Him. Uh, it's about being in His presence. So, thoughts. Time. Conversation. Having conversation with God. This is, prayer. This is prayer. Always remember, prayer is not just talking to God. It's talking with Him. You talk. He talks. Just go back to what we talked about. About the Listening you talk and you listen and some of the best prayer times I've ever had and I remember having these in seminary when the stress was really high is I would go I'm a walker many of you know I'm a walker I'll walk for miles and I'll talk and pray and hash things through in my head so I I would go to the seminary campus I'd walk around the whole campus and I there's a lot of times I would pull my car up in the parking lot park it get out plant my feet on the sidewalk and say God I don't want to say anything I just want you to talk to me today it's amazing. Those have been some of the best times of prayer ever because I wasn't just talking at him. I was listening to him. It's conversation. Another thing, service, service, ministry, serving him in a way that honors him in, in ways he wants you to serve him. Uh, listen to Matthew twenty five forty. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So, putting God first involves service. Because when we serve others, we're serving him. Another thing. Adoration. Adoration. Somebody said it. Worship. But it's not just going to a worship service. It's about worshiping him. It's about gratitude. It's about praise. So many times we start our prayer time with, Hi God, I need this, 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 and this, and this. And uh, I watch my grandchildren come to my daughter and say, my daughter comes home from work and, and they're saying, Mom, I need this and this. Can we do this? Can we do this? And she'll say, Hi, it's great to see you too. And she reminds them, That sometimes you don't start with what you want. You start with being glad to see the person. So, adoration is about praise. It's about gratitude. It's about being thankful. And then, one more. Submission. Submission. That's about obedience. Somebody else referred to it. It's about following his word. About listening to him and responding to what he tells you to do. Submission. Now, These are all ways in which we put God first. And and we said that when we learn to put God first, then it's easier to put your spouse second. And by putting God first and spouse second, then we truly figure out how to live for our spouse. So, what do you think some of the things, what are some of the things we need to do to put our spouse first? Or second, excuse me, get my. Priorities mixed up here. All right. I can see the smoke coming out of your ears. Let me help you with this one. First of all, we need consistency. That's not the big list. But, but the problem is, like, if we are going to love God first and all those things, we'll do some of those. We'll have a spurt and we'll do this or we'll do that. But we just don't stay consistent. And so how do you know someone loves you? You know it when they're consistent in that. If I'm not consistent in that, my wife goes, what do you want from me? I'm consistent in that. And and I tell that with couples, especially couples who are close to divorce and they're trying to put their marriage back together. I tell them, you have to do these things and you have to do them no matter what. Even if you wind up divorced, you still have to do these things because your spouse is not gonna trust you if you just suddenly turn over a new leaf and you're doing all these new things. They're gonna think, this is a scam. They want something from me. They're trying to get something from me. So when you love God, you need to do it consistently because it proves that you're not just trying to get something from him. The same will be true with the things I'm going to tell you about your spouse. These are the ways we love God. And how do we love our spouse and put them second? The answer is the same things. It's the same thing. It doesn't change. Let me go back to this list. This is how you put God first, but this is also how you love your spouse. Think about it. Thoughts. Let's talk about the thoughts for a minute. Think about the time you were dating. Focus on your spouse. Think about when you were dating. Think about when you were newlyweds. Think about the things they do for you. Think about how hard they work for you. Any other ideas? What are some other things you can think about when it comes to your spouse? How much he does all this better than I do. Sometimes for me, it's thinking about how much he puts up with me, right? Which I'm very grateful for. Some others. Come on, you've been doing this for a while. Or maybe that's it. You've been doing this for too long. Think. How do you put your thoughts on your spouse? When's the last time you went home with your spouse, got the kids to bed, got it quiet, poured a cup of coffee, popped some popcorn, something, and you got out a photo album? I know, I'm dating myself. Now it's all in your... your, phone, or it's all on your iPad, but even then, when's the last time you got out, went back to dating, or back to wedding day, or somewhere, and just started looking through photos, that'll put your mind back on your spouse, so thoughts, let's look, let's talk about time, if you're going to love your spouse second to only God, then you still have to spend time with them. You need to hang out with them. You know, you need, to, not just that, but you need to open space rather than having your life so crowded with stuff that they have to use a crowbar to get in. You need to open up space for them and spend time with them. Old Testament says that when Moses came down off the mountain, his face was aglow. And why? Because he spent time with God. Just him and God. He spent time with God. You need to do that as a spouse. You need to take advantage of small opportunities. If the only time you really get to hang out with just your spouse is once a year when you have a weekend away, you can't live on one weekend a year. You just can't. So don't wait for the big opportunities. Take advantage of the small opportunities. I'm learning. I'm not telling you I'm great at this. But I'm learning that when my wife says, do you want to go to Walmart? My head says, no, it's the last place I want to go. But I know she doesn't like to go there either, so if she's asking, she's probably asking for me to ride shotgun with her. And so I say, yeah, because it's funny. We can have conversations on the way to Walmart, and we can have conversations on the way home. Sometimes it's about Walmart, but we have conversations on the way home. You know, those kind of things. If, if your spouse wants to run to Home Depot, and that's the last place in the world you want to go, and they ask you to go, you should go. I mean, if you can not just leave the kids, abandon them or anything like that, but, I mean, make sure you got childcare or something. Find ways to hang out. I knew one, one guy, uh, one couple, and, and the wife really took this to heart. And so, he would go out in their garage and he would, he would rebuild engines. And so, he's out in his garage rebuilding engines. She didn't care anything about that. But, she would go out, sit on a stool, listen to the music on the radio, talk to him a little bit, read a book. She'd just hang out with him. And, of course, the guy never did tell her how much it meant to her until I prompted it to him, until I prompted him. And he said, yeah, that means a lot to me. I knew somebody else, I think I told you this story. Uh, The wife, again, really took heart to spending time with her husband, and his husband was a big outdoorsman. Loved to hunt, loved to fish, and it was summertime, and he was fishing, and she didn't care anything about it. But she figured out she could go out on the boat with him, get a nice tan, read a book, and he just wanted her to hang out with her. Spend time together. Um, Any other ideas? Look, I can't come to your house and generate ideas. You've got to come up with these ideas. Some ways to spend some time together. Walk. Taking walks together. And you can do that with the kids even. Put them in strollers and go for a walk. Strap them to the dog if your dog's big enough. Go for a walk. It's a great idea. A little exercise, a little time together. It doesn't have to be tons. Just some. Yes? Playing games. Playing games like board games. Poker. Something like that. Yes? Yeah. Yes, find ways to spend time serving together. You can even do that as a family sometimes, but at least you're doing something together. Because again, it's really easy for life to get in the middle of you and the two of you just do this. And, and that doesn't seem like a big thing until you get out here. And almost every couple that comes into my office and is threatening divorce, it's usually, once in a while, it's over big things like an affair or abuse. But oftentimes, it's just, they just drifted. You can stop that. You can be preemptive in that. All right. Let's go on to another one. Conversation. Conversation. I know we've talked about this. We talked about this in in what session? Session number three. We said husbands listen longer, talk deeper. Wives listen longer, talk shorter. Get the conversation out of your head and out in front of everybody. Are you like me? You think a lot of things in your head, but you don't say them, and then you can't figure out why your wife doesn't know what you're thinking about? Right? Well, I told you that. No, you didn't tell me that. No, I did. No, you didn't. Well, I was thinking about telling you that. You know, All these conversations go on in our head. I can't tell you how many times when a, a spouse is talking to me and they said, you know, I just wish he knew this. And I said, "Did you told them? Well, no. Well, how are they going to know? Well, they just should know. No, nah, it's not working that way. Get the conversations out of your head. Now, okay, word to the wise, some of them you probably need to censor before you get out of your head, right? Because there's no need to start an unnecessary fight But there's stuff in your head that you need to get out. At least it will have conversation time going on. Uh, Talk about a variety of things. Talk about the big things. Talk about the small things. Talk about things you know they don't care anything about. At least you're talking to them. They will love that. Right? Share your work. Even if they don't care anything about your work, they care about you, so they want to know what's going on in your life. Talk about things, you know? If you have trouble getting started, let me give you an an option here. When my wife and I first started dating, uh, I came home one night, or one day after work, and I came through the front door, and my two kids, who were like this age, were at each other's throats, and I did the dad thing. I came through the door, saw what was going on, heard them. I said, stop it right now, use the dad voice, right? To which my wife came around the corner with this look on her face like, how dare you discipline my kids? And I thought, we're kind of in deep weeds here. We need some help. So we decided we would find a sitter and at least once every other week we would go out to eat. I've told this story to a ton of you guys. The first night we went out to eat, I've been on blind dates that were not as awkward. I'm just telling you. And we were two kids in and it was awkward. And so we're staring around. We didn't know what to talk about because we'd set a game rule. The game rule was you can't talk about work and you can't talk about your children. We didn't have anything else. And so we're looking around, watching people in the restaurant, twiddling our thumbs. And here's what happened. Literally, I'm not making this up. The server brings us our food, sets a plate down in front of my wife, sets a plate down in front of myself, and my wife instinctively reached over pulled it in front of her and started cutting up the meat in little child-sized portions. It happened, I swear it happened. And I thought, we are so sick, we're bad. We can't talk to each other, we can't go out to dinner. So here's what you can do if you find yourself in that situation. To get started, go out to the movies, all right? You don't have to talk to one another in the movies. You can hold hands, you can eat out of each other's popcorn, and then, when the movie's over, then go out, and at least when you have dinner or dessert, you can talk about the movie. You have something you can talk about. You do that, you'll eventually catch on. But you've got to have these conversations. Okay, service. Service. Do things to serve your spouse. In fact, if you want to have a great marriage, make it a game to see who can outserve the other. I'm just telling you, too many spouses are keeping score. Well, I did this and you didn't do this. Well, I did this and you didn't do this. That's not trying to outserve your spouse. That's proving that they need to step up their game. Try to outserve one another. Look for things that they might need help with and then help them with them, right? Meet their needs. Meet their needs and the way, meet the needs in the way you would meet your kids' needs. We will go jumping through flaming hoops to try to meet our kids' needs, but we won't do that for one another. Meet your spouse's needs. Serve them. Any other ideas on that? If you take care of the small things, big things will take care of themselves. Yes, if you take care of the small things, the big things will take care of themselves. When you're getting up to get another glass of tea, ask your spouse, would you like another glass of tea? If they say... No, I'd really rather have a Coke. Don't say, Well, no, I'm sorry, I'm only getting tea. That's all I'm asking for. You know? Little courtesies. Do those kind of things. You know? When, you're, when your spouse says, Hey, would you do, don't roll your eyes and go, Oh, I guess. Say, Be happy to. Take a tip from Chick fil A. My pleasure. Even if it's not, it will be. If you do it long enough, it will be your pleasure. So, serve them. Any other ideas on that? Okay, here we get to one that's a little bit more difficult. Adoration. I am not telling you you should worship your spouse as if they were God. Although they would probably like that. That's not what I'm saying. But you can show appreciation. You can show gratitude. You can show it both privately and publicly. You can do that. You can compliment them. You can tell them when they've done a great job, when they've worked hard, what you appreciate about them. That's praise. It's adoration. In a sense, it's a form of worship. That's what we do with God when we come in to worship him. Those are the same kind of things. All right, we're running clock here, so let me move on. Submission. We've talked about submission in the very first session. The passage in Ephesians says that we are to submit to one another. Not just wives submitting, we are submit to one another. We just do it differently. Husbands do it through love, wives do it through respect. But we are called to submit to one another. Again, the, these are the same, this is the same list that we use to put God first. This is the list we use to put our spouse second. You know, Follow each other's leads more. Don't be so quick to challenge your spouse's ideas and decisions learn to appreciate one another we used to way back when when we were dating when we first got married before we had kids and then we just forgot how to appreciate one another we should do that again because i'm just telling you one of these days your kids are going to move out i swear they're going to now they may move back in for a while but they're going to move out and it's just going to be the two of you and then what do you got all you have is what you built before they left And if you build these things before they leave, then you'll have them after they leave. And the reason it's so important to love God first and put your spouse second only to God is because you and I need the help of the Holy Spirit to do these things because they don't come natural. And so you have to love God first in these ways and then he molds you and shapes you into a better spouse to love your spouse. Yes? Right. So, met by God, so therefore I can better me. So, when, <laughs> it's a good term. Uh, I'm not sure I'd use it without getting in trouble, but, uh, but when you let, she said, basically, when you let God meet your needs by His Spirit, then you become the person better equipped and better tuned, if you will to meet other person's needs, so you become a better spouse, a better parent. Again, why it's important to put God first. Uh, Okay, one last word here, and we've already given it, I jumped ahead, but the key is consistency. The key is to do this consistently. And, uh, And it's important because if you just do it hit and miss randomly, it won't change anything. You must be consistent in doing this. Uh, now, this is not rocket science. The stuff I've showed you, that list, that is not rocket science. So why is it so hard for us to do it? Why does it not come naturally to us? What's the problem? This isn't an answer to that, but I was thinking about how we stick everything on our refrigerator. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be anything wrong with putting that wrist on your list on your refrigerator. Uh, I mean, I usually tell wise. if you got something you were supposed to do, put it on the refrigerator. Uh, we need help. We need itemized checklist that helps us. So no, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But again, they're simple things. So what keeps us from doing that? Usually it's one of these four: Laziness. And yes, there are some lazy people out there. Myself included sometimes. Pride, insecurity, and just the need to control. Those will get in the way of doing this stuff that's not rocket science. All right. That's it for this evening. Put your spouse second only to God. Questions? Comments? Talk to me. Yes.
1: Okay. This morning when I was in my Bible class, we were talking about 1 Peter chapter 2, mainly verses 19 and 20 which talks about being, you know, subject to authority. Okay. And earlier in chapter, or in verse 13, it says be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and you know, etc. just talking about these different people to be subject under I think it kind of falls under the submission point and the service point. Mm -hmm. And, And then in verse 20 it says when we do good and suffer like suffer for it you endure this is gracious in the sight of God. So it's like you know when we are submissive to those people that you know
0: may not be the best authority in our opinion. Right. You know God sees it as gracious and I
1: think that it's kind of like you know he sees it so important that we submit and we submit to him and it's kind of like I feel like that in a way in my mind Mm-hmm. Like you submit, God will see it as gracious, and of course, not in like an abusive situation, but just you know, like I don't know. I
0: just thought that somehow that went together. And so you're saying that if we submit to one another, whether it's authority or not, but especially in marriage, if we submit to one another, even when we shouldn't have to or it's not warranted, but if we submit to one another rather than combat, then God will use that graciousness to get through to the other person. Okay. That's a good point. It's hard for us to do because we think everything should be fair and right. And nothing in this world is fair unless you go to that place with the fairest wheel and the cotton candies. And then there you have fair. But the rest of life isn't. And sometimes if you're waiting for fair to submit or to do the things you need to do, they never get done. It's a good point. Someone else. Question, comment? Yes. Um, For those of us who have been married many, many years, it's easy to get too comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so many of the things that you have been saying tonight apply to those of us that are older. And my husband and I started many, many years ago after the children left home Um, before we go to bed at night, or when we go to bed at night, the last thing we do is say, I love you. Yes. And um, our kids have heard that several times. You know, so they always say, whenever they hang up the phone, whenever they come, mm-hmm. I love you, I love you, I love you. And yeah. they, you know, it's said sincerely, also spending time together and just talking about the little things now. Yes. That's the voice of experience. Spending time, talking about the little things, always saying I love you before you part or before you go to sleep. Uh cuz they keep you from taking the other one for granted. Today we talked about leaves turning colors. Mm-hmm. Leaves turning colors. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My wife has a has this wall art. There's one in the bathroom. There's one in our bedroom. Uh, I think there may be two in our bedroom. I'm not sure. And they all say this. Kiss me before you go to sleep. I think she means it. There's enough of those things hanging around the house. I think she's trying to tell me something. And, and you know, if I'm tired, if I'm upset, if I'm mad, sometimes that's the last thing I want to do. But she has told me, this is what you, I need from you. I need you to kiss me before you go to sleep. And so I do. Even if I'm frustrated, you know, it may not be, it may be a peck on the lips and goodnight, you know, but, but we do that. And... Uh, it's just a way of not taking one another for granted. Anything else? Yes? Uh, another voice of experience um, is um, emotions follow actions. Emotions follow actions. Sometimes. Sometimes emotions follow actions. Sometimes actions follow emotions. The question is you have to decide which one do you have the most control over. And whichever you have the most control Yes, sometimes when you act as if it can kind of change your, your want to a little bit. Sometimes you just do it whether you feel like it or not because you're supposed to. It's the right thing. You know, how many of your kids, you've told your kids to do something and they said, I don't want to, and you go, oh, well, in that case, no, never mind. It's all right. No. You say, whether you want to or not, you need to do this. Well, we as adults can run into those too. All right. We need to close. Next week is Fall Family Fest. Is that correct? Right, so we will not meet next week because this whole place is going to be a buzz with little ants and families, right? So we will meet the next week. Now, let me give you a heads up. The week after that, which is November the 2nd, we will have a, a uh, discussion on the budget in here on that Wednesday night. And so here's what we're going to do. If it's quick and short, then we'll do this last session. If it's not... I'll bring something abbreviated to you, something different, and we'll finish the last session the next week, okay? And, if I remember right, I think we're talking about sex, so don't necessarily want to miss that one, right? So, next week, Fall Family Fest, we don't meet the week after that. If budget discussion goes quick, we'll get into that, which might help alleviate the having to sit through a budget discussion. And if it doesn't, we'll do this the Wednesday after that. All right, let's pray and then we'll go home. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the reminder that we need to love you first above anything and anyone else, that that doesn't shortchange our love for our spouse. Actually, it will accentuate our love for our spouse, make it better. But we need to do both and we need to do them in that order. And so uh, I pray that you'll help us do that. As we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, I have homework. Now, list of things. I have cards with that list on here. I want you to pick one that you don't do very well with God and do it. And then I pick, want you to pick one that you don't do very well with your spouse and do it. Won't help you if you don't do it. So come up and grab a card, pick one for God that you need to get better at with God, one you need to get better at with your spouse. We'll see you next week.